Shall, um, shall we open up our Bibles to 1 Peter? That is going to be where it is that we're going to be going today in our study. 1 Peter. 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You'll remember it's, uh, it's to be found there right after James. Peter is after James. All right. Well, we, we want to welcome one of our, our guests today, uh, Kathy Loomer here, who came along with her, her son, right? It's your son, and mother. Uh, they're here from Marion, Indiana, and um, they, uh, she's taking a class and wants to know a little bit more about other churches, religions. What kind of background do you have? Roman Catholic, okay. Uh, in a sense, we are too, but in a maybe a little different sense um, because of uh, Martin Luther. But uh, we're going to today uh, also do some reference to this handout that you have this guy by the name of Martin Chemnitz. Uh, Chemnitz actually was a person who studied under Luther uh, there in Wittenberg. So let's take a moment of prayer to, to start with our, our study in, in prayer. Okay. O Lord and Savior, may we always see the wonderful vision of that glorious heaven that you have given to us and promised to us in, through, and by means of the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us today and give us your Holy Spirit that we may understand ever more fully what it is that your word says to us and how the saints of old have oftentimes used that word to strengthen their own faith. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. All right, we're going to take this from verse 3 and we're going to read it together all the way through to verse 12. Through verse 12, okay? So... Um, Everybody has, I think, the same version of the, of the Bible. And um, why don't I tell you what, why don't we do this? Um, I'm going to divide it between men and women. We're going to alternate verses. It just gives us a little bit of a different uh, sense to this. So we'll have the guys start with verse 3, ladies verse 4, and so on. Okay? Together, guys. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. These have come so that your faith of greater work than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls.
trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The Apostle Paul was not always known for short sentences. Um, thank you, um, thank you all very much for uh, exploring those words. And I'm going to start off by just taking that that word at the very in uh, verse three there, where he talks about the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that word, Anna. Ganao, Ana means again. Ganao is where we get the word for Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the word Genesis is really taken from that word creation. There, we have become a new creation. Now that is the language, what we might call baptismal language. Becoming a new creation. Being born again. We baptized a little baby in our first service today. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Anne-Marie. And Anne-Marie was it's unseen to the eye, but she had been a creature born with a sinful nature that was actually intended to die. And she literally was reborn today in those waters of baptism. That birth that, that happens is a, there are different ways of describing it. It's described sometimes, uh, well, it's conception language, right? Uh, yesterday, um, the Kermines, you know the lady that came in with that great big basketball yesterday underneath her shirt? <laughs> she was pre pregnant, you know, and everybody goes, Whoa, you know, she goes, I'm not due until October. And everybody's going, Ooh, that's going to be a, ooh, wow, ooh. And she was, that was, the baby was heavy. All of a sudden, the baby came this last week. And there she is, and she says to me, as she looks at this new little baby, she says, How in the world can this happen that you can have a sperm and an egg and ovum? And here's this human being that comes from this. How could anybody be an atheist? This miracle of life to be born. And if you think that's a miracle, imagine now the new conception, the new birth that has taken place in us, where now the Word of God has literally conceived in us a new spiritual nature. Now he says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How many of you know the story of all those Greeks and Trojans in the great Trojan War and how they won at the end with that, that horse that they left? You know, so a horse to honor the people of Troy and those Greeks all got into their ship and pretended like they were going to leave, right? Meanwhile, inside of the Trojan horse were all these Greeks 
And they pulled it into the city in rejoicing, and out of the horse they came. Well, God did something, something like that. He actually puts us into Christ. And by putting us into Christ, whatever happens to Christ now happens to us. So now, today, I, I, I know people are always saying, Pastor Feeney's kind of weird because he, he, we're reading an Easter text here and we're almost into the fall. Well, I, I designed the, that curriculum so that we're actually following the lunar lectionary and it is leading us up to the festival of trumpets. They would blow their shofars and all the Jews would get ready to gather. They would gather their forces and they would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles where they would remember how it is that God took them out of Egypt and how He preserved them for 40 years in the wilderness. And they would build these little tabernacles all around the city of Jerusalem and everybody would kind of be tenting around Jerusalem. And for seven days they would be celebrating. And on that tenth day of the month they would celebrate the the um, uh, what was called Yom Kippur, and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and there he would offer up the blood of the animal sacrifice, and if he did it right, if God accepted his sacrifice, he came out alive. If he didn't, he was killed by God in the Holy of Holies, if he didn't do it right. But when that priest came out, it meant that all the people were to rest assured that God had forgiven the sins of the people for that year. It was the day when the blood of the animal sacrifice brought the forgiveness of the sins. Now notice what this is. They didn't sit there and go, you know, um, that priest, he offered up that blood up there, but uh, it wasn't real blood until I accepted it. You go, what do you mean that you accept? Well, you know, no, it wasn't. Until I believed in it, it didn't actually forgive any sins. As though somehow my believing it does something, right? Actually, the force of this is that you, if you say to yourself, I don't know if I can be forgiven. I don't know whether or not my sins can be forgiven. And you say, well, look there. What did he just do? He came out of that holy of holies alive. Your sins are forgiven. Because he did it for you. That's the whole point of the resurrection of Christ. When that temple veil was ripped from top to bottom, it signified that he entered into a temple, it says in the book of Hebrews, not on earth, but the temple in heaven itself. And there he offered up his blood so that when Jesus appeared alive on that third day, it meant that God the Father had accepted his sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole world. And anybody here who is not a part of this world, please raise their hand. No. So, <laughs> well, I, I'm sorry. There's a, one of, this pastor out in Wyoming keeps posting these Gary Larson cartoons on Facebook, and I, I can't get them out of my brain. It was, um, I was going to give you an analogy, but I decided I better not because of <laughs> the context in which it was given. All right, here you have this beautiful, beautiful statement that Paul says that we should praise him because in his great mercy, remember what mercy means, mercy is God's undeserved favor and kindness, that he has done this not because of anything that we have deserved, 
that it actually is something that he's given to us. Um, most of you men know what mercy is. Mercy was when your wife said yes to, that she would marry you. Um, oh, well, I take that back. I'm not going <laughs> to... Given us a new birth into a living hope. Now, living hope. What in the world is a living hope? There are dead hopes and, I guess, living hopes, right? Can you think of a dead hope? The Colts? <laughs> the what? Yeah, you playing for the Yankees. It's very dead hope. You're beyond your prime. Otherwise, it had been just a few years before it probably would have happened. A living hope is something that... Paul will clarify this. It is literally something that is kept for us in heaven and cannot be taken from us. The beautiful words here, follow along here. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance... Kind of an interesting word there, right? Um, this also is something that's used in the, in the book of Hebrews. When somebody dies, you receive an inheritance, right? How many of you have in your lifetime received an inheritance? Yeah. Um, maybe it might be a grandmother or somebody. And what they do is they, they put you into their will so that in their death, all this stuff is now becomes yours. Um, that's the way that they describe the death of Christ. That when Christ died, he actually has an inheritance that he gives to us. And that inheritance is now kept in heaven for us, he says. And then he uses some interesting words that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, if you ever, as you read the Apostle Paul, look at the times that he uses four things, the times that he uses three things, the times that he uses seven things. These are very biblical, symbolic numbers. But they're also what we call memnotic devices. That is to say that when you put things in threes and fours, that they're actually easy to remember. So, what he will do here is these words that he uses are very similar to each other. Aptharos, amiantos, amarantos. Amiantos, amantos. They are words that are very similar. So, you're for Greek and you're reading this. It'd be easy to remember. That cannot perish, that cannot spoil, that cannot fade. Now he goes on, he says, now this is not just kept, but it's, the word here literally is shielded in heaven. Guarded, as, a, as you would have a shield to protect somebody in warfare. All these things have now been shielded, and nobody can go up to heaven and take them away from us. Isn't this the joy that we had? We've had a couple of saints that have passed away this last week. People have lost people in their families. And you think, you know, it's a reminder. I looked at Solve last night and I um, said, you know, I'm thinking about a couple of things. Um, one of them is retirement. And she said, yeah. <laughs> um, but I said, and the other is that we're going to die someday. 
Um, we are. We're going to die someday. And when you go to the grave and when you put this body into the grave, you have to ask yourself the question, am I forgiven and do I have eternal life? And look at what Paul says, the comfort here. This is something that has happened for you. It all depends upon what he did. And this is an inheritance that you already have. It's yours. It's like when your grandpa grandma dies, leaves you a million dollars and says, it isn't until you turn 21 that you get it. And you're just sitting there waiting for that day to come when you turn 21. Well, when that day comes and we die, we get our inheritance. Now I'm going to just kind of back up a little bit to um, our little handout here. And um, I'm going to turn your thoughts to that first page where it says, or that, yeah, it's first, I think it's the first page. Well, it's the page at the top that says, Relevant Issues of the Day, Humanly Invented Ideas about the Lord's Supper versus the Revealed Word of Christ. I'm just going to take you down to about the third paragraph. I guess that what that is, is that is the second, is that the second page? Mine is so worn out right now that, yeah, second page, the third, well, third page. Okay, third page down. He says, uh, this is what, what it is that he says. I'm going to just read it for you. He says that, um, well, I'm going to st- I guess I'm going to have to start up a little bit further in the, in the paragraph. Thus, first of all, in his own person, he sanctified, restored, and blessed human nature. And now, in order that we might be made certain that these blessings apply also to us and our wretched nature and have truly been communicated to us, Christ in his supper, this is the Lord's Supper, again offers us the very nature which he assumed from himself and in himself first restored, so that when we receive it, our poor flesh, with our poor flesh, we are no longer in doubt concerning the salvation also of our nature through Christ. For in this way, as it were, grafts our miserable and corrupt nature into the holy and life-giving mass of his human nature, as Cyril, Cyril says, so that our depravity and misery are cured and renewed through the remedy of this most intimate union. What he is driving at is very similar to what Peter says here. Remember we talk about the branch and the, the vine and the branch? So that our natures are literally united to his nature so that the corruption that is in ours is overcome by the perfection of his. And that's why the, the I guess you might call it the incarnation, the belief that Christ was both true God and true man, and that these natures interpenetrated each other and participated with each other. How many people today, when you think of Christ, you think of, well, that he's kind of this, this God that's just kind of up there. But to think that he is actually the same man who rose from the dead, but glorified, that the divine nature and the attributes of the divine nature were given to that human nature, but he is in every respect also true man today. 
that these natures participate. And because of this participation of the divine and the human, when we are grafted into Christ, that actually now the very gifts of the divine nature are given to us. We were wondering, how in the world are we going to live forever? Well, how long does God live? How is it that we can, uh, as, you know, that la- did you see that last verse of the hymn that we sang? That we're, it basically, it, was a, it's a, it recaptured the statement that Paul says in, that in heaven, we shall know all things even as we are fully known. Whatever that means is that somehow because of this union with God that we're actually going to participate in a knowledge that God himself has. Martin Luther would oftentimes say that, you know, when we don't, we don't always know, understand the cause of the fall. You know, why would Satan fall from heaven? What would be the reason for this? But Luther somehow says that somehow it became probably jealousy that God would actually reach down and let a mortal creature like you and me, a limited, limited mortal creature, that God would make us the object of his love and that he would allow us to have this union with him. Well, Satan was this magnificent angel. You know, that's like, that's like the most beautiful girl in school who dates the ugliest boy. And all the other boys are jealous. I, I have to use some kind of human analogy, Mona. You have to pardon me for, for that. But you go, what, why is this? Well, of course, from our perspective, merit, what we do, our, our accomplishments, how wonderful we are, should be rewarded, right? But God is a God of grace and mercy. And Paul says, God chose what is weak and despised in this world, even the things that are not, in order to make foolish the things that are, so that no human being may boast in his sight. When we get to heaven, we're going to say, I cannot believe that you saved me. And all for eternity, we are going to sing the praises of God for his great mercy towards us. C.S. Lewis once said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to spend the first thousand years just looking at the lights. We're going to find ourselves... Now, I always wondered about this. You know how it is that people kind of go, well, you know, church, uh, yeah, well, yeah, go to church and sing a little bit, sing some hymns and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we'll, go, we, we'll come once every three weeks, you know, well, maybe once a month, you know, that's good enough. I think, what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to worship. This is a foretaste of heaven. And you think, you mean we're going to be going to church all the time? <laughs> yeah! And the, the beauty and the joy of that, one of the reasons why we're not getting it now is because of our own sinful human natures. But to be able to stand before God and to be able to be singing those hymns or songs or whatever they might be that somehow express His mercy and His kindness for us for all eternity. This is what heaven is going to be. We're going to be so filled with joy. 
There's not going to be a tear ever. And by the way, for those who have gone before us, those who are there in heaven right now, people are always, well, you know, they're looking down on me. You know, they're not. They're having a wonderful time just looking at God and enjoying his wonderful rest and peace. You know? So, you know, we really need to have two hours to make... I hope you guys don't mind. We'll just roll this over, okay? Okay, let's uh, continue to look at this text. Shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. You know, when do we get to see? The disciples said this to Jesus. Are you going to now reveal the kingdom? And the word to reveal there really means you pull back the veil to see what's really happening, what's really going on. Then he goes into this, and I think all of us probably, um, this is a tough one. In, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. That word there, the griefs in all kinds of trials, that word is very similar to the word that was used for what happened to Jesus in the wilderness. Those three temptations, remember what they were. One temptation was command these stones to become loaves of bread, right? Another was that he takes them to a high to the temple and the peak of the temple and he says, throw yourself down from here uh, for it's written that the angels guard you and so on and so forth, right? And the third thing was he takes him to a high mountain and shows him all the glory of the world and he says, all this I'll give to you if you just bow down and worship me. Right? In those three temptations, we have basically the mothers of all trials and tribulations. The first is uh, he doesn't eat and so now he's hungry and he needs bread and God supposedly hasn't given it to him. We would say our daily needs of life. Lord, why is it that you haven't given me a good husband? Why is it that you have given me so many problems that I have with my children? Why is it that I'm always constantly having to fight at work? Why is it that I don't like my job? Why is it that, why, 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 why? God is not gracious. He's not a good God. Well, just command these stones to become loaves of bread. That's not temptation number one. Temptation number two is, and it depends upon, upon the order here. Let's go to the, top, the high mountain. You go up to the high mountain and there every man, become, there's, there's no way that anybody could have resisted that temptation unless he had been the Son of God. All you have to do is throw money, wealth, power, whatever it might be, adoration before people. And they will sell their souls faster than you can say Jack Robinson. Does anybody know where that phrase came from? Jack, is that a baseball player? You, oh, well, Mr. Baseball is not here right now, so I've got to ask him. Uh, and every, just imagine how many people destroy their lives because money, wealth, power, fame, riches, whatever it might be, have become for them their God. And then, of course, that third temptation is the temptation of, I think you call it despair, or the temptation of tempting God himself, where you say, if God isn't going to help me, I'm going to go ahead and put God to the test. 
And if Jesus had jumped off of that temple and said, all right, God, you catch me, and, and then I'll know that you're here. That's the kind of temptation very often that people face when they say, where, where is God? I mean, come on. And even sin and transgression is, is a tempting of God, isn't it? Where we are testing God because we think God is not going to punish us for this. God's not. There's no justice for this. We just do whatever we want to do and life goes on the way that it is. That's called jumping off the temple. Go ahead, God. Let's see whether or not you can see it and see whether or not you do anything about it. So every temptation is there. And a Christian, as we go through life, every one of us must endure tribulation for a number of different reasons. One is that we have a sinful nature that makes us a target. The other is that we simply live in a sinful world and when you're out in the rain, you all get wet. When you're living in the world, the sin just gets passed around and everybody gets a piece of it, whether it be that it's that person who strikes me or whether it be that I strike somebody else. The world is just beating each other up. They look like a bunch of those. Remember in the, in the circus where they had those bumper cars? Did you ever do that? It shows you how old some of you are. If you can, or maybe how rural you were or something. Those bumper cars in the circus would come down, you know, and get those bumper cars and just bang it into everybody. It was just the most amount of fun. You just see your friend and you go, <laughs> and hit him like that. That's the world. And the world enjoys it, and the world has fun with it, and Christians suffer under it. And sometimes we're victims, and sometimes we're the ones who perpetrate it. And so now we have to back up and say to ourselves, we're going to have to suffer trials and tribulations in this life. We have to. But, he says what? There's something more for us. He says, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which Paul always has these sub-thoughts. My, my wife is like this, and she's here, and I, I love her dearly, but as a teacher, she starts with a theme, and then she breaks down into a sub-theme, and then into a sub-sub-theme, and then into a sub-sub-sub-theme, and what's amazing is that she knows how to go back to the original thought in the first place. Paul does this. He, 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 your faith which is of greater worth than gold. Which, by the way, he says what? Which perishes even though refined by fire. In other words, he's saying gold is something that's human and temporal and we live for it, you know. I mean, how valuable, how wonderful to be able to have gold. But even that will burn up in a fire. But then he goes on to say, this testing happens, even though refined by fire, making a suggestion of what, what we're going through when our faith is tested, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, I, we oftentimes hear today, I think, um, you know, like the theme, the theme of the sermon today, you know, do you believe you're forgiven? And do you, believe, do you have God's peace? And although it's, it's, you know, we all kind of know what the answer is supposed to be. 
But we all also know that there are a lot of doubts that we have and there are a lot of times in which we don't have peace. Right? And you go to your, you think, you know, am I really a Christian? I mean, is this the case? And then what happens is that you come to discover that when those trials come, when you walk up to the grave of your mother and you have to be able to say goodbye and you're feeling this incredible weight of having lost this person who has been the person who has been the center of your life for so many years. And somehow there's a peace there that you can't put your finger on. When, when you go through times of, of doubt and you're struggling, you're wrestling with God, we say, why are you wrestling? You think you might not believe in God? Then why in the heck are you wrestling with him? If, I don't mean, I don't go around going, you know, I just wonder if there are men on the moon. Well, if I was really wrestling with that, at least I'd have some evidence that there might be men on the moon. When people say that, that, that as atheists, they don't believe in God, they're saying that they don't believe in something that they know that there's evidence he exists. But when we as Christians are going through struggles and we wrestle, do I really believe in everlasting life? Do I really believe that there's life beyond the grave? Do I really believe that what God says about how we came into this world, do I really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Most often it is through trials and tribulations that everything that is human in us gets washed away and the faith that God has given to us becomes the gold that gets purified and the impurities get washed away. That's the way the kingdom of God works. The theologians called it the, this, this theology of the cross. And this theology of the cross is, is, is not there in a lot of church teachings. Um, I think I've told you it's almost done. I was out in, I did a, a summer vicarage years ago out in Idaho and they came in and they rushed in and they said uh, Vicar Feeney um, so-and-so's uh, was just uh, killed uh, by a train. His car was parked or had pulled out onto the train tracks. He got killed and his mom is right now she's, she's worried about what have happened. So I went out to the house and I walked in and I started talking to her and she said one of the ladies from the church came over and she said that my son was killed because I had done something wrong. So she started to look inward to see what did I do wrong that made God kill my son. Now, I was pretty close. I was young, but I was pretty close to killing that woman myself for what it is she said. Um, we, must, we must always remember that God's love and grace is operative in even the most difficult times and circumstances. And never, ever, ever does God leave or forsake us. But that gold, that faith that he has given to us, wow, what a gift. The world can't give that. And that's what makes Christians, that was my, made those, those Christians, I think, in the, in the lion's den, like Daniel, made them so so almost invincible because the world can't make you afraid. You have this inheritance that's been laid up for you in heaven. It's yours. It's guarded. It's protected. He's not going to let you go. So,
you know, I wish somebody would set the clock back by five minutes. Then I'd have five minutes and you wouldn't know it was the end of the class. All right. Well, next time, I, I apologize, we're going to try and get even further. And um, as for these sheets, I'm going to let you take them home as long as you bring them back. Do you, you want to bring them back? Or if you don't want to bring them back, all right, leave them on the table and we'll give them back to you again uh, next Sunday. Um, should we close with a prayer? Oh Lord, we pray that this new life, this new birth that has taken place in us would never be something that would be taken from us, but rather that you would guard and protect it. For even as it is protected in heaven, we pray that you would protect it within our own hearts as well. Grant unto us that peace of knowing that no matter what the trials or tribulations are that we face in our life, that somehow you are refining our faith and in the end that you are teaching us that the greatest treasure that we could ever have in life is the gift of believing and trusting in you as our Lord and our Savior. Grant us that freedom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.